All right, welcome everybody to a new episode of Moscow Mules and Knopslides. I'm one of your hosts going with the old school Mike, Kyle. His camera is also old school. He looks like he could be a grandpa, maybe. Uh, I don't know. It's not looking too good over there. Anyway, I'm David. I'm the other host. Hello. And our special guest of the week is Jay. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm great, fellas. How you guys doing? minus the uh what 15 minutes of tech support uh pretty good i'm thirsty I'm really call thirsty. Best Buy. it's a hot one out here in western pennsylvania today i'm yeah, i'm man. very thirsty yeah it's up to 79 in the car at one point it's got to be past that and it's more swampy out where you're at right uh jay a little little warmer <laughs> usually a little sticky yeah um it was all uh right thigh action on the car ride home today uh so yeah absolutely a steamy one um which i'm i'm really glad for i've been wanting warm weather god for for what seems like forever now obviously last year was kind of a uh you know a crapshoot on you know enjoying uh spring summer fall and kind of really getting out there but um yeah right now i'm i'm, I'm digging it you try to hold off on the air conditioning as long as you can, because I know I do. I'm cooking in my house. I think my thermostat in the middle floor said 76, and upstairs it's got. It's, I'm a cold-blooded person. I think it's at least 80 degrees up here, maybe 85. Unacceptable. I'm just smoking out here, but I won't turn the AC on because I'm. Mine you know, says 78, 77, so it's smoking. Oh my god. Yeah, because you can't turn your AC on. They say don't turn it on unless like it's above 60 degrees at night. And it's dropping into the 50s, you know. Not, I'm not trying to buy a new AC right now. Yeah, I'm uh I'm at the uh uh really at the mercy of my wife. Uh so whatever um it needs to be in the house, it will be in the house. Um so I'm pretty but, sure. What about your car ride? Even though, like in the the warm car ride like 80 degrees out here. I, I try to crack the windows at least. Oh, I love to have the windows open in the, in the car, just riding, feeling the breeze. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No AC necessary. Look no, at that. This is a perfect time of year where you don't need that AC yet. But anyways, as we talk about weather. <laughs> See what happens. There we go. More importantly, Jay, what are you sipping on this fine, fine evening? We know you have no one else can see it, but Jay has some nice selection in his background. It's beautiful, actually, of different bottles of I'll let him talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so right now, um, I will preface with um, uh, my wife and I uh, just moved into a new house. Uh, we just purchased uh, here in Bowie. Um, so we still have boxes everywhere. Um, and all of our liquor is not even here. We still have some liquor that is in storage, um, uh, about 100 bottles in storage still. So I am drinking uh, the Dalmore 12 year right now, um, which is kind of just a, a really easy kind of semi everyday sipper for me. So how, how do you store 100 bottles of things like besides very carefully? What, what do you have to do? Uh, so uh, do you mean in my house or where are they now? Yeah. Where are they? Where are they like in a, like a pod? Like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't trust a pod or a, like a, like a well-packed box. Like, what do you do? So um, there is, uh, of course, I'm dropping the name right now, uh, but there is a wine and liquor storage uh, company uh, in DC that will uh, hold all of your bottles. 
uh, they'll inventory all of your stuff. Um, and there's a, a, a internet uh, website that they'll give you that you can log into to see all of your inventory. Um, it's all climate controlled. Um, you can call ahead and have them pull bottles for you. Um, they were working on their, uh, their uh, license to be able to have a, essentially a tasting room where you can bring people, have your bottles pulled. Um, uh, yeah. That's an awesome idea. Uh, but why domain, would you do, domain but why, DC. That's the name of it. Domain. Domain. But why would you do that unless you are moving? Like in your case, you're kind of still moving, transitioning. Why would someone have someone else store their bottles and then pull them out to do a tasting? So I mean, not, I mean you know, not, it's not like it's your company, but maybe you have a little more insight. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a couple of reasons, right? Um, I think uh, for one. Um, most people may not necessarily have or even want to have the storage space to store that much uh, alcohol. Um, we're definitely going to get creative here with some um, uh, some custom displays and some other things in our basement. Like you know, me and my wife just happen to be like big, you know, fans of spirits and and, and wine and things. So um, we're we're going to do a lot in our house for that. But many people don't want to do that, right? So if you're not going to do that, where do you put all of your bottles? So that they're not just stacked up on top of each other and looking crazy, right? Um, so that's one reason. Um, one of the things that I actually uh, was planning to do, just from a business perspective, um, it's a nice touch to be able to have uh, your own personalized uh, collection that is in storage that you could take business partners and others uh, to to have you know your personal bottles pulled, um, so that you could have some really nice stuff, you know. So maybe. Uh, you guys, you know, stop by that place, you know, after uh, maybe cigars, something along those lines. And it's a much more personal kind of, uh, you know, touch to to all of it. Um, I actually uh, was when, when I was living in Japan, I was planning to utilize that service um, to be able to bring, you know, business partners and others to uh, to, to you. Cool. So. That's what I was thinking, like, like, what if uh, just knowing the, the, the DC area, like if you have a condo or an apartment or like a townhouse, even that doesn't have a ton of storage space, but you want it, you're a collector, even if you're, you're not like a serious drinker, or like want to have parties all the time, like where, where would you put it? And I remember having an apartment in that area and there was no space. Like you yeah. gotta, you gotta park it somewhere. And that's, that's actually a pretty good idea for them. I mean, I, I don't know how much business I'll end up getting, but like, just to be able to be like, hey, I have I have all this really great stuff that I brought over, but like I don't have it in my house because, you know, I just don't have space for it. They have a ton of business, so um, you know, uh, going over and you know they let you kind of tour the facilities. So it's uh, again, it's it's a, a giant warehouse that just has all matters of just wine and uh, spirits stored there. Uh, my stuff was you know a fraction of what they had there. So that's wild. That's pretty cool though. I mean, I would never have thought about that. Cause like when I used to travel, it's like, all right, well, I can fit three bottles in my suitcase. Right. Yeah. You know I mean, like you're like, well, <laughs> and that means if one breaks, I still have two hopefully. Right. Or something like that. Is that a gamble? Of like, you know, cause you never have, you're not thinking about shipping it back like you, where you were living over there and you had time to ship it back and things like that. But that's actually, that's actually. So, and so that's actually one other cool thing. I, I we turned this into a commercial for them. I'm going to uh, definitely hit them <laughs> up for, uh, some, sponsorship. Some kickbacks here, uh, oh, yeah. sponsorship, but uh, so they they also accept uh, shipments as well. 
So um, when we were gone, uh, the wine shipment, um, the monthly wine shipment that uh, my wife and I have, we didn't want to stop it. Um, and so we just reduced it and then had them ship it to, uh, to domain and they would just accept it and store it and inventory it and, uh, everything's insured and yeah. That's Is there awesome. a space limit? Like, do they have like so many bottles or do you pay, uh, I don't know, per how many, like dozens or hundreds? Yeah. It's like, they essentially have tiers. Um, okay. but like you, you know, depending on how many you have, um, essentially is the kind of tier you fit in what's the one thing that you have in storage that you wish you had out oh uh when i was here um oddly enough right i came back for a business trip um and i bought um a bottle of uh boss hog um the fifth edition uh and it is sitting in storage because i bought it and i put it in storage before I, I left the country again um, and I kind of bought it taste unseen. Uh-huh. Uh, so I kind of read about it a little bit and I was like, that sounds really interesting. Um, which is kind of nuts for a, a $500 bottle, but, um, Ooh. yeah, oh, man. So, so kinda, yeah, we're, we're kind of stupid with, with, with all <laughs> like we just, we, we have stuff for no reason, but we, we just really enjoy it. I mean, you enjoy it. It's not like, it's like, uh, it's collecting dust. It's like you enjoy it. So like, I, I, I'm not a big so are you drinking is it, what you're drinking tonight is it whiskey is it scotch is it uh, scotch scotch okay so yeah. all i know about scotch is it real peaty or not a real <laughs> so it's, it's not peaty um and it's it's funny when i first uh got into um whiskey uh, i was on uh, funny how all, all of this revolves around business trips um i was on a business trip somewhere i don't even remember where and um i went to the hotel bar and the uh, bartender and the, you know, some random guy that was sitting at the, the bar, um, you know, I started conversation with them. And at that point, I didn't know really anything about whiskey. Um, and so I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'd like to learn, right? You know, what can you guys tell me? And, you know, that's, that's the, the very first, you know, start off question, you know, do you like Pete or not, right? And we can go from there. Um, and uh, really, that was kind of the beginning. So, um, but with that said, uh, so uh, Downmore 12 is definitely not a PD uh, scotch. Uh, it's a Highland um, uh, distillery. Uh, you get uh, a lot of kind of fruity notes. So you get like candied orange, you get raisin, uh, you get some baking spice, um, some things along those lines. So it's, it's really kind of a laid back kind of just, you know, sipper. Um, yeah, it's it's really easy to enjoy. I feel like I've seen this in the store before. I'm not a big Scotch guy because I'm I'm afraid of uh, I'm afraid of the oh. drinking oh. dirt, drinking rock taste that I get. Yeah, that bottle I've definitely seen before. All right, I've seen that too. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yep. I you know I don't I stay away from that stuff. Also, it 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 burns. That really just that stuff gets me. So you you would really be surprised, and uh, you know, uh, Dave, if you you know uh, end up in in Maryland sometime. I'd love to have you guys over just to actually just do some tasting, right? Oh, yeah. um, that's, you know, that, that one of the reasons that we Ooh. really got into uh, whiskey and, and, and lots of other spirits is because we'd love to share it, right? It's uh, such a, a great kind of uh, conversation uh, catalyst, right? Um, to just help people just, you know, start talking and kind of open up and, and really build relationships. 
Um, you know, uh. whiskey and um, cigars have really become, you know, a, a big thing for me. Uh, and some of my favorite time spent is just, you know, hanging with friends and, you know, having a good scotch or a good bourbon, you know, a great cigar and, and just talking. That's why I miss going to the bar, because like you said, you could just walk over to some, or just be sitting at the bar, walk up to the bar, sit up to some rando and uh, just start talking about like random crap. And that's, that's one of the, one of the things that I liked going to like, I don't know, just to the bar, you just on a business trip and you just like, I'm going to go to the hotel bar. Yep. And the, the most interesting people that I think I've ever met were at just bars on business trips. Yeah. And can't do it. Haven't done it in a long time. Can't wait to do it again. You see, it's one of these days. I'm gonna say it every podcast. One of these days, yeah, we'll be out of here. One of these days, we'll be somewhere else and doing a podcast live or something. Who knows? Yeah, someday. Anyway, Moscow Mules live all day, all night. Oh, we'll just we'll have a binger. We'll just uh, we'll figure out what to do. We'll take off PTO to go do podcasts around. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Dave, oh, they'll love Ed, that. What are you drinking on? Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm running out of beer, which is kind of a bad thing. I might have to start doing what Dave's doing and just start drinking bourbon. Like I have a lot of the same stuff and it's getting to the point where like, I, I bought so many things to share and I have nobody to share them with because nobody comes over. I don't go anywhere. So I'm just, I've accumulated this, this stash. That I think I'm just going to start breaking into because my normal drinking beers are just kind of, I don't know, fruity beers, sour beers, mm-hmm. IPAs. It's the same stuff I've already, like, we've probably already talked about it on the show. Anyway, I told you that story to tell you this story. I pulled this bottle out of storage. It's the uh, Big Bad Baptist Chocolate Raspberry. This one should be good. This one is a stout aged in whiskey barrels with coffee, raspberries, and cacao. So how you say that, cacao? Uh, it is from epic brewing it tells me it's 11.6 percent. so here we go here we go it is national beer day by the way uh i know the podcast will not be released on national beer day but will not you know you can you can uh figure that out yourself well that's fine you got a barrel aged one i did i likes his you know whiskeys bourbons scotch and uh as you pour and before you tell us how it tastes, I also have a barrel aged uh, barley wine oh, style man. ale from oh, uh, Dancing Gnome here. Thin places. I might have drank the other one on the podcast. I might have not have. Oh yeah, but more. Wait, I'm cutting the chase. Your glass. Let's talk about. Oh, your- you don't. You don't have to do that. I don't even know if I've used this one before. I don't use this glass for anything usually, but mimosas. Uh, it's my Princess Peach riding a Yoshi glass from the Answer Brewing. Yoshi is laying a couple eggs uh, and trying Absolutely. to eat a hot. I love it. So that, that's a pretty cool, right? So yeah, this glass stuff is just, oh man, that smells so good. I love raspberries. I'm a sucker for raspberries, fruits, berries, and things in bourbon barrels or whiskey yeah. barrels, whatever. 100%. It's, it's basically the same thing. So uh, I'm going to get my nose deep in this and then mm, right. taste it. Go ahead, Kyle. So, so you got the, the local... Got- Local yeah, release. Thin Places again from Dancing Gnome. Dancing Gnome's pretty well known for their IPAs of sorts, as you know, everybody's listened to our podcast for. And then they have some good styles, but they put out some barrel aged stuff. And this is one of those ones like they put it out, you don't buy it, like you don't get it, and they don't release it again, maybe ever. I think I only got, I think the limit was two bottles. So I think I had the other one before, but in, in honor of, uh, I'm not a big baseball fan, but I, you know, I'm a Cleveland fan of sorts uh, still. And this is uh, one of the glasses from Conspiracy Glassworks, but it's the uh, Major League Glass. 
Uh, I never saw that one. Look at that. Yeah, he just dropped it recently. I like some of it. I like the glasses he's making now. The problem is, is that again, you know, uh, I got a glass that I pre-ordered back in like December, just like recently. Like that's just insane. But I, this glass I just bought like two weeks ago, right? So it's like weird how like I don't know what type of he's, he's doing with these glass makers. What's the back of that say? Just major, major league. Ma- it was supposed to be major league, but it says major beer nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I thought you were gonna maybe pull out the Billy Ripkin glass. I didn't get it. Oh, you didn't? I, I got thought the you Kobe got the Billy glass. Ripken. I got the Kobe glass. Uh, I gotta get rid of some of my glasses. So if anybody's listening and wants some glasses, I got a bunch of X Men glasses. I'll say so. Got some. Oh yeah, you gotta get rid of those, huh? Yeah, I got, I'm, that's another one. I, I so yeah. David got me into the glasses, Jay. I don't know if you listened to like earlier of our podcast. Uh, not that you had to, but like. He had a bunch of glasses. I'm like, oh, it's cool. Like, I'll get like glasses are cool. And next thing I know, I filled up like a, my wife's cabinet that she got to like display. Like, my wife's been to Japan for like a month's time over two periods, so she brought back some really cool like uh, sake tasting kits and a sake uh, uh, woman in like a kimono. It's like badass and all, like, all these other things to display. To I just filled it up with my own beer glasses. <laughs> I mean, like you, you, you probably have the same thing with like scotch and bourbon, but like you kind of feel like you have to, you know, if you spend a good bit of money on something, like you want to have like the, the, the nice experience of like the proper glassware. And I don't know if like proper glassware is or is not a thing, but like with IPAs, like I'm trying to keep my hand off the bottom so it doesn't warm up. And like, yes. if you have a snifter, you want it to have like that nice full body color and the nose uh you know bends the right way and then all the aromatics come like and hitched you in the up in the nose so I'm, I'm i'm so glad you said that right because one of the the things that really uh kind of got my wife and i into uh spirits and and, and wine was the science right we're, we're both kind of geeks at heart um and so you know just as you've um you know hit on the glasses are huge right you can you can absolutely change the experience of a beer, a wine, a, uh, a spirit with the wrong glass, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and the wrong, you know, the wrong etiquette as far as how you do it. Now, obviously, um, you know, to not be a snob about it, right? However people like stuff, that's how you enjoy it, right? But, you know, there is science that kind of goes along with a lot of that stuff. And, and for the folks that take it seriously, it's important. Oh, yeah. You think about like the Sam Adams glass that came out. It was like the most unique glass. If you remember, it was like that one that was just kind of it was like bulbed up and then like the top like pinched and then it like went back out. And I can't I'm doing a terrible job describing it, but like they actually spent a ton of money in research and engineering to figure out how to make like the perfect ale glass for a Sam Adams. And a Sam Adams is like, no. I don't know. It's, it's no cheap beer, but it's also like probably the, I still consider it, I think um, by definition, the largest craft brewery in America. Right. So there's still, you know, they're significant. Um, but to invest that much in a piece of glasses, you know, that's kind of telling um, to your point. I think. As I drink my rare, rare barrel aged barley wine out of a, a yeah, beer. There's style. nothing wrong with that. Barley wine's just kind of one of those things anyway. It doesn't matter for this. I don't know. To me, to me, barley wine's just, but I, I agree. Like syrupy. I, I've gotten like some of those IPA gla- uh, glasses and styles. Answer the Answer Brewery down in uh, Richmond, right? That's where they're located. They make a lot of them, and yep. like I've put some of the IPAs in there. You can see how the sediment stays up high, so it get you when you drink it, you get all that like good flavor. 
like I taste test it. You're right. It, it like as it would with like whiskey, bourbon, scotch. It did change the experience of like how it tastes. Yeah, you know I mean, hundred percent agree. So, with what do you do with a uh, with, with like uh, scotches and and bourbons proper? Because I have just like I have like these little. Um, it's just like tumblers i don't have i don't think i have like a lot of rocks glasses um, yeah so so for most folks um they'll they'll do like a uh, a glencairn uh like you know a, a typical kind of dram glass uh which is kind of the the tulip at the bottom that kind of narrows near the top um and, and really that just you know just like for a lot of uh, other types of glasses helps with the aromatics mm -hmm. right um when uh you know it concentrates it at the top so that you're able to, um, obviously if you're not putting your nose right over uh, the glass, cause you're just gonna get a lot of alcohol at that point. Um, but uh, it really does help to heighten uh, the, the, the scents and, the, and the, the smells that you get out of uh, the, the spirit. Glad that you're excited about glasses. So yeah, we, we basically bought like, a I don't know, back to, you know, Kyle and I nerding out about glassware. Like I started to just collect different styles of beer glasses that had like characters on them, like Nintendo characters that I grew up with or like hobbies of mine, movies that I liked, like people, there's just like this whole scene about, I don't know, printing the thing on a glass and selling it for, you know, three times the cost of the real glass, maybe five or six. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I've definitely got, you know, just a bunch of different tumblers and, and Cairns. Um, started getting into uh, kind of collecting, um, Oh man, dropping dropping words here. Uh, they're really fancy. You put liquor in them. They have a little top that goes on top of them. Oh, a decanter, not a decanter. Yes, decanter. Decanter for wine. You, sir, yeah. Okay. Uh, so so yeah, um, decant like just really like ornate, pretty decanters kind of became a, a a thing of mine too. And um, just like anything else with uh, specialized hobbies, those can start to get up in price when you start talking nice crystal and some other stuff so um that's one yeah, if you that's one of the things though like 100 percent agree with you there jay is that like a decanter changes how the wine is supposed to be tasted for if you just pour it into your glass 100 percent. like i always like you know if i think if you if you're part of a wine club and you don't put your wine in a decanter before you drink it you're doing yourself a disservice almost because it like it needs to oxygenate a little bit. I mean, that's what they tell you about when you do those wine tasting rooms, when you go to any you know, winery anywhere, like, the, you know, the real good ones are like, yeah, you want it to breathe a little bit. You want it to get some oxygen in there and really like, you know, those flavors and it's hundred percent. We started doing that. Then we, my wife got a decanter from my mother-in-law for Christmas or her mother for Christmas. Right. So every bottle of wine that we open up, you know, from our wine club, like goes in that sits for a little bit, you know, 10, 15 minutes, like get some air in it, you know, well, don't they have like a little bubbler that you can pour into? Like, don't they have like a little thing that's like bloop, 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 bloop. They, they do. Um, so they're uh, called aerators. Yeah, there um, you go. That thing. <laughs> we'll help I, each I other. Mean, we'll get through this together. The yeah. sound effects. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, you're exactly right. And, and aerators are, are a great kind of, you know, cheat. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, time and um, exposure to air, you know, you can't necessarily just completely duplicate that. But um, you know, having the aerator, which all the aerator does is just increases the surface area um, that the wine touches, right, uh, to really give it a chance to, to touch as much oxygen as it can, um, just oh, as, man. you know, Kyle was saying. So um, those are definitely a must-have. So we've got several of the, like, uh, we... we Jay, Jay's up in this, man. I like this. this you know, what we're yeah. doing our, 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 like, one of our <laughs> first, like, live podcasts is at Jay's house. And Jay's gonna be, Jay, you're going to become a, a third co-host. 
and then we're gonna like invite other people over and do the podcast. Wait, I need my science man. Where's Where's Jay the science man at? We just gotta be able to sleep on your floor, Jay, in the basement. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I just, I'll bring my own pillow. <laughs> I'll I'll sleep wherever I end up at the end of the evening. Yeah, that's fine. No, I'm I'm good with it, man. Like like I said, the science part of it is just super interesting. Like once, uh, my, my wife and I went to Scotland, um, and actually went to go tour some distilleries in Scotland. Uh, we stayed in Dufton, and so that's um highland area so uh balvaney and uh glenlivet several kind of big names are over there and getting in there and actually getting the tour and actually seeing you know exactly the process um as it you know for some of those places as it was you know since like the you know the before times when uh-huh. they were doing this to like actually have something to drink you know in the winter like um it, it just blew our mind and it really kind of pushed us heavy into really wanting to understand this stuff and, and really enjoy it. I always figured that they took moss and just kind of like crushed it and <laughs> somehow juiced the moss and made that, that taste. There is a whole process that goes with, uh, with, you know, how they, you know, how they're taking, you know, uh, grain and how they're, um, uh, getting it to malt, you know, so, you know, uh, so that it can, when you start letting it steep um, and sit in, in uh, juices, you can add or juices water um, for the bacteria is <laughs> producing sugar. There's a whole, there's a whole thing that, that comes with it. Um, which quick, uh, quick shout out to Balvaney. Um, if anyone goes to Scotland and gets a chance to tour just one distillery, I would say Balvaney is the distillery to tour. That's um, the one for you. Yeah. They're one of the only distilleries that still does uh, floor malting. So after the grains kind of steep in water and they start to sprout, um, you have to let them dry out. And so what they would do is literally in these huge rooms, they would just take it and lay it out flat um, and let it dry. And then they would uh, come through with uh, kind of a flat shovel looking tool and kind of just flip it over because all of the stuff on the bottom would be damp. And they would just do that over and over until it dried out. Um, That's one of the only places that you can go and actually see that that process still being done. Uh, they're also one of the only places that has uh, their own coopers. So the, the folks that maintain and, and uh, keep the barrels uh, good to go. So they have their own cooperage on site as well. Why, they, why don't they call them barrelers? Is there a reason for a cooper? What is a cooper? Uh, Am I saying right? Coop? Cooper? Coop, coo- yeah, cooper. Cougar? Coop. Like a chicken coop. Okay. Chicken coop. Yeah. Um, so... I, I think it's just, you know, it, it's just the, the term. I don't, I don't know the actual origination huh. from it. Um, I guess science guy, not a history guy. See, yeah, That's there you happens. go. There you go. Maybe my wife might have you covered on the history side. <laughs> I uh, mean, I, I would say like going to, like I learned a lot when I went to, before we went to the last Derby con, uh, Sean, who we had on early in the podcast and the single digits, him and I drove down to, on the way to Louisville, we stopped at Buffalo trace. Ah, nice. And that's when I learned about one, I saw Blanton's, bottled by hand by seven people like an old school conveyor belt line like they do 15 minutes on like five minutes off, or you know 10 minutes off 15 and everybody switches a spot and back at it and like it was like so that's why blanton's goes off the shelf super quick because like it's literally i saw a lady fill it someone puts a label on someone dips the thing like it was super cool to watch like it, like it's not like a big space they all have like you know th- their process and how like it, it was actually super cool to see and that's also how i learned how uh if you see el weller right am i saying is it el weller wl weller w, yep it's the well, same 
it's, it's the same recipe as Pappy Van Winkle, mm. but it's just distilled on the lower floors versus Pappy's distilled a higher up. So that's why like it's the same recipe. So that's why like W.L. Weller, they, like if you see that on the shelves at the liquor store, get that because the same recipe as Pappy. It's just on the less hot floors in the all brick buildings. It's wild to see. And it's the campus Have is it, huge. Uh, but like also cool to see, like, you know, they roll the barrels down. Like there's a little like railroad for the barrels. I mean, it's a cool experience just to do it once. Right. Jay, have you had either one of those, the, the Weller or the Pappy? Uh, or both? I've had, uh, both. Um, the, uh, it was what the 18 year for the Pappy. Um, and I think it was just the, the WLW for, for Weller. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, so I guess as a um, caveat, I am more of a scotch guy than I am a bourbon guy. Um, so actually, my my favorite hands down is Japanese. But um, but yeah, scotch, the- right? Which is they call it whiskey, but it's actually it's scotch. And I only say that maybe you in, correct me one hundred percent. But my wife was there, and she brought back. I can see the bottles you have in your background, and I'm sure we have. I think we have at least one or two of the bottles you have in your background that she brought back because it's, it's it's called Japanese whiskey, but to, to a non scotch drinker, it tastes like scotch. That, yes, much. So, so for one, uh, Japan got the, uh, they learned how to make whiskey from a, a Scotsman. Right. So it's, it, you know, the same kind of process and, and that kind of thing. And for anyone who's, um, you know, spent time in Japan or has learned about Japan, like, uh, they are masters at um, learning from another group and then mastering it and putting their own spin on it. Uh, and so when you start talking about um, the, the depth of flavors and um, fragrances and things that you can get from Japanese whiskey, um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think um, it, it is doing uh, as well as it, as it has, because um, a lot of the same kind of uh, characteristics, a lot of the same approach um, is from scotch. Uh, so, you know, oddly enough, Japanese was the first thing I kind of really got into, and then I kind of backed into everything else. See, this is how we go on these podcasts, and we just talk about, like, whiskey the whole time, and, and scotch, and all the above. <laughs> That's how it works. Dude. Everybody that... that we have uh, a game plan, and, and we just segue all day. Every I would day. assume that there's people that listen. I mean, like, we don't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people listening, but I would imagine that there are some people that are listening to it that are trying to get past the alcohol part, right? <laughs> Maybe. And they're just, like, they're just if dragging they're the slider. This far, and if <laughs> this is episode, like, 37, I think, or we're at 38, like, if they're listening this far into us, they get us at this point. They see how we are. Well, you hope so well i know right. there's a, a shout out to nick nick listens and sends me dms all the time i know nick from randomly from undergrad and we they saw each other a few you know like four years ago at a conference uh and like he dms me like you know he's like oh man listen to this episode it was really great like because he always be like i don't need the glass but i love a sticker because obviously he listens that far to hear me say <laughs> hey if you listen this far into the podcast i'll give you a free glass like just dm me and he'll be like I don't need a glass. Just, I'll, I'll take a sticker, right? So like, that's awesome. Shout out to Nick. I, I just, I just imagine that crowd being like, they're still talking about booze. It's been forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when, when are they going to talk about other things? Well, David, that's actually a pretty good segue. Jay, do you want to talk about how you got into? You know, we'll we'll bucket into cybersecurity a little bit. Yeah, man. 
Um, so I originally got into just IT period because um, I wanted to play Doom. There was a buddy of mine who, um, you know, at the, at the time he, you know, downloaded it, had it on his computer and I went to his house and, you know, played it and it blew my mind. And so he, uh, you know, I think at that time put it on like a few floppy disks and, and I took it, took it back to my house. And at that point I knew nothing really about computers. I was still in, you know, uh, early in high school and, uh, I sat there and just played with files until I figured out how to make it run. Cause I wanted to play it that bad. Um, and that kind of really just opened the door to, you know, getting into technology. I've always, you know, liked video games, things along those lines. Uh, and so that was really the start. And, you know, um, joined the military. Um, I'm sitting in the recruiter's office. They're like, you know, what do you want to do in the army? I'm like, computers, whatever that means. Like, whatever <laughs> job that is, like, computers. People they, tell me it's going to be hot one of these days. <laughs> right. And they're like, okay, let's... Uh, so, actually, quick uh segue out of it into the military so they're like hey we don't actually have the job of like you know uh computers available <laughs> but but you could do this super cool job where you're dealing with like satellites how's that sound i was like yeah that sounds kind of cool like it's kind of on the same trajectory it wasn't on the same trajectory at all um gotcha. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a couple of things ended up happening and I ended up reclassing into, um, the, the 74 Bravo, uh, job for, for those uh, that speak army, um, now 25 Bravo, but, uh, ended up into the, the computer side of things, um, in the military. Uh, but that, that recruiter definitely got, me. I got into computers somehow. <laughs> I mean, Jay, I think great. I've, uh, yeah, I mean. I, I think Jay. I think Jay and I have known each other. I don't like. I mean, maybe ten years now. I like in a it's weird. It's got to be over. It's got to be at least ten at this point. Yeah, and it's just like I don't. I, I, I like. I was talking to David and even my wife. He's like, "Oh, who do you have on the podcast?" I'm like Jay, I know him from back in the day. And I'm like, I don't even know how Jay and I met. She's like, "Well, how do you know him?" I'm like, "I, I don't know." We just, I, don't I, I don't know. I don't actually know. I know like we like cross paths a lot of the time. And it was just like one of those things like, I don't know how I met Jay. I just met Jay. It was, you know what I mean? I just, I just met Jay. And it might've been it's, from BC, but I don't think it was from BC. I think we all just like ended up knowing each other. I knew BC and Doug beforehand and, you know, but like, I just think we just knew each other. I, I don't, I, I, I can't actually pinpoint how you and I actually met like in the hallways or in a class or, we were, I don't even know if we were, I know we didn't work in the same <laughs> office. Like that's how crazy it is. I don't actually, I like how it's Kyle's trying to talk to you this problem. He's like, no, hold on a minute. Hold on. I, I, I don't day. know. My wife's like, well, how do you know Jay? And I was like, I just know Jay. I just, I just, I've just known him. I, I you know, I, I do some of the same because for one, this, this community is huge, but it's super small. Yeah. And so like, if you've been doing any real work in this community, like there, you, you're going to know people. Right. And there's so many people that it's the same thing. I don't know how I know them. I just know them. Yeah. And I don't even try to like reverse engineer the origin. I just, 
Yeah, I know At Kyle. At this point, that, you can't. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That, that, was, that was also one of the cool things about working in an office, right? So you're in the office setting, and, like, if it's a big office, like, let's assume an army base, perhaps, and, like, you walk by the same people in the same cubes. You walk by, like, the same stuff every day. And sometimes you just start getting friendly with people. I remember I worked at NASA on a contract for a year and I remember walking by like the same dudes and they would walk by me in the hallway. We'd say hi. And all of a sudden we were like friends. We were, they would just start showing up in my office. Like, Hey man, how's it going? Like, Oh, Hey, I'm James. Like, I'm David. How you doing? Oh, look at this guy. He's going double poor. And uh, you know, I, I miss just like randomly. I mean, I know not everybody's that friendly, but like just like randomly talking to those sort of people in the hallway that like you may have some sort of like connection to through the project being, you know, uh, my thing works with their thing or even just like adjacently like, oh, yeah, they do that thing and I do that thing and like our thing works together at some point. Right. Maybe not even that. Maybe just you're just some dude that was just eating lunch by himself someday and, uh, you know, sat down next to him. I mean, yeah. I, I think I did that numerous times We're like. You know, the tables are always so big in cafeterias wherever you work at some dumb times that seats 10 five four people sit at one end one four people sit at the other end and next thing you know like everybody just starts sitting together you're and, all chatting and, right and yeah you're, you're like, all oh chatting. hey man nice uh nice flyers hat i saw they lost <laughs> and they start like you know maybe dogging you about the penguins or something I don't know. so you know and and going back to you know covid and everything else like one of the things that i really miss is the cons right um, oh, there are yeah. so many people that, and, and I can, you know, couldn't place whether it was ShmooCon, DefCon, what, you know, dirt, whatever it was, you know, um, you just meet people, um, you know, BarCon, you know, is, is a major, uh, a major thing in, in this field. And, um, so it's just, you know, you, you gotta meet people. Party con. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I mean, we talked about that and I think every episode, but like, I even like, I'm looking forward to like my job's full remote now and I might meet my teammates sometime in like the fall for the first time right <laughs> you've been working there all you'll be you'll have been working there like a year in the fall almost right? a year yeah but, but the real thing was like just seeing each other for the first time like i know what none of my teammates looked like besides from like chest up you know what i mean one guy stands two guys i work with stand i can tell they stand but again i don't know how tall they are i can do some correlation via eye visualization based on door height and when they walk by their couch and how high their legs are. Are, are you doing yeah. one of those triangle moves? You trying to do like the Pascal triangle? What is that? What was that thing? The hypotenuse? Who did the oh, mother? Pythagorean theorem. Yes, you trying to do that in the math? <laughs> as long as you say it by the right thing, Pascal's. <laughs> Wasn't there a Pascal? Oh, see, now I have to look this up. That, that was high school math diarrhea of the mouth, right? <laughs> it's all I remember from math. Whatever you oh, Pascal's triangle. Your, I'm not even close. <laughs> it was whatever you can store in your TI-83. And That's right. It, right? I, was why you, I, was, I was playing uh, Penguin and Drug Wars. I, I don't know how yeah. I got Oh, man. Tetris, oh, my God. Right? Everybody played Tetris because, like, in Mario, those are, like, the three, like, in Drug Wars, those are, like, the three games everybody had in their TI-83 you know, count, calculator, right? Yeah, like, you know, what? Teachers calling on you, like, uh, what's the area of this, you know, this uh, freaking box? You're like, hey, look, cocaine's down right now. Like, I can't. <laughs> I'm losing business left and right. <laughs> so, so now I got to ask. Take what, me to what study year? hall and through history class to get back up to where I was. What year did you graduate high school? Because it sounds like we're about contemporary here. Uh, 2001. Okay. Yeah. So do you, so I, I have, it's funny. You talked, you talked about doom, like uh, getting into like games from doom. I remember my dad bootlegging 
uh, Blakestone, Aliens of Gold, and Doom and Wolfenstein. Right? He he just he knew a guy at work. It was fl- handing us floppy disks, and I that was one of the first uses that I had regularly for a computer was beating the hell out of these games. Even though, like, if my parents would have watched me play Doom, they would have been like, "No." Right. <laughs> like it was like the one way in you're like dude computers are pretty awesome because like i can't play doom on a nintendo i know that that's right that's doom right was, doom was the shit dude i love and then you, like i I play at night like you know everybody gets off the aim messenger and you're like well i guess i'll play doom for another two hours did, did then, you like, also do dark. um grand I, theft I, I, auto remember grand theft, gta one yeah. the original yeah the yeah. original um just like running around beating the hell out of people with bats, like just because, like yeah. Or the original, like I'm original cool borders, right? You get the first snowboarding game. I got the, I got the, I got the PlayStation Classic behind me because I was like, oh, cool borders is on it. I'm gonna rip this thing like I was in like 2002. I plugged it in. I was like, this game sucks. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I tried playing. I was like, I love this game. It's just wild how far we've come in time. Like I got it for. I had to play something classic for that and Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid, I played that. Oh game. yeah, some, the original some snake action there. Yeah, man. So you know, one you know, talking about uh, games aging. Uh, one of my favorite games um, that I just I, I dare anyone to argue that it's just not classic and timeless. Killer Instinct. Oh, we talked Killer. about Killer Instinct on this podcast because one of our guests was a graphic designer, right, for that show, for that gosh, that show, that game. That game. Really? What was that? Brian. He did the Brian, uh, yeah. He did the motion capture. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. It was it was a great talk because like that was a that was a, a a classic game in the in the sense that like I don't think I remember a lot of console games having that sort of like arcade movement. No, they so so the movement, the look, the fighting system itself with the you know with with combos, the combo breakers, like all, it just it was completely different than pretty much every other fighting game that that was out and you know for a lot of fighting games once you learn kind of some of the patterns and you know you have a couple of characters that you're really good with that's kind of the end of it there were so many dimensions to killer instinct and really learning to oh i i, I love that game <laughs> I, mean, I remember thing, like mortal Kombat, like you, you learn like five moves for each person like you could just dominate everybody she fire was the same way unfortunately I, here's here's a conflict of opinion. I think I don't think GoldenEye was that great of a first-person shooter game. You can see it, yourself right out it, here. It was only with your friends. The game itself was not necessarily that great, oh, but man. it was. I, I think as far as first-person shooters that allowed you to start setting proximity traps to kill your friends, like. That was amazing at the time. Like it was, it was also at it. <laughs> it was social too. Like it was one of the first games I remember at least four people playing at, and you could really have like this nice rotate in and out if you lose this round, right? We would eat funyuns uh and play Bond for hours and drink Mountain Dew like a bunch of hellions, right? And our, our parents probably loved us for it, but like hours. I burned hours on Goldeneye growing up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and then, you know, when, when uh, they had the, the different, you know, all pistols, you know, all rocket launchers, you know. Slappers only like, one shot. Only, yes. Like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> it was where it was at. Like, it probably wasn't a good first person shooter game. You're right in, in that sense. I, I think would there argue was a that lot Halo more. was. And Halo, maybe Halo took a lot 
out of the pocket for like, you know, from what GoldenEye gave you, that socialization aspect. And then you can do it on a LAN network. Like, you know, you can play you can play four versus four, two teams, red versus blue back then. Like we uh-huh. I remember playing in the dorms. People pick up and be like, join the game and hang up, right? Like, <laughs> you call your room, you have your phone sitting next between the two of you, like because like, it'd be two in here, two in the next room and you know, four down the hall. Join the game and hang up. And you're like, oh okay. Like so, so let me let me ask you this thing, Kyle, because I, I don't think it's necessarily fair. What are you comparing Goldeneye to? Because you said Halo, right? And I, I guess I just didn't like the. Maybe I just wasn't good at it. You must have played somebody that was odd job the entire time. Probably, <laughs> I probably played somebody that was odd job, and then, like it just it always sucked for me. And like you were Jaws, they were odd job, and they just slapped the <laughs> stuff out of your ding dong. Probably, just, they would yeah, just so. walk right up to you, kabam. Chopped it but that's theory. like auto, that's like automatic like no respect like when people like <laughs> they're like they're like okay like even that's if why i'm not even friends with that person so right yeah we had a no odd job rule in my friend group not allowed you could not be odd job yeah so we would we didn't make a rule of it but like it, it was very revealing like you, you could pick them if you want to <laughs> but like you, you're probably gonna sit by yourself at lunch like we're, we're, like <laughs> The fallout was too risky to uh, yeah. to take it on, and that's how you met Kyle at lunch the one day. That's right. That's right. That's right. He was odd job, and we made him sit by himself. For a week. <laughs> you came you came at him with the odd job. <laughs> so, how long were you in the military? What? What? <laughs> let's try to get back on track. What did? Uh, are you still in the military? Are you still? Military? I am not. Uh, I did a uh, four year hustle plan with the military. Four, what's, um, a, what's a hustle plan? Is that legit? Is that a thing? Uh, I think it's just a thing that like black people say. So uh, <laughs> I'll just caveat it with that. Uh, no, um, it, 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 it really was just like a hustle plan. Like uh, I never intended to re-enlist. Like I always only planned to do one enlistment okay. um, because the, the, the military was just a stepping stone for me, right? It was, um, you know, come in, get money for college, get um a clearance get training um i wasn't you know uh star athlete i wasn't star you know scholar so there was no uh scholarship money um so i had to do something in in the military i've got a lot of military that runs my family so um that was definitely path for you actually you know it worked out okay oh it was it was the cornerstone of everything else in my life absolutely you're glad you've done it no oh, yeah. no, no uh, regrets no what so not whatsoever as a matter of fact i you know i, I tell people all the time and, and especially for folks like we we came from fairly meager means we you know kind of my family worked their way to kind of be in middle class by the time i was kind of in high school and then a bunch of that collapsed and we kind of ended up back in the projects but um you know, the military really is kind of the great equalizer for a lot of people. Um, you know, if you can, you know, come in, you can pass a, a physical uh, fitness test um, and you can pass the, the test that, you know, for, for the job that you're in, uh, that really can set a solid path for, for a lot of people. That's cool. I like that. That's, that's, that's very nice. It also like, I like how you're real about it. Like I was this foreigner. Yeah. That was my whole game plan along. Do you look back now and wish you might've stayed in longer? Cause like you, maybe the trajectory or the, you said you switched to like the cyber, you know, whatever the, they call it back then. Right. The computer realm. You're like, ah, oh, if I would have stayed for another four, four years like that, you know, I don't know. I'm just absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. 
Um, <laughs> not, not even remotely close, right? Or your hustle. Yeah. So listen it, to the man. Uh, I actually I ended up uh, my last duty station was at the Pentagon, and um, kind of you know being back in the D.C. area doing you know IT and cyber at the Pentagon as kind of a launching point. Um, extending and, and doing another uh, enlistment and going somewhere else would have probably been a death move, right? Like I had the network, I had the access, I had everything kind of at my fingertips. And it just, it, it so, you know, luckily um, stars aligned that I ended up there. Um, so maybe for someone else, it might, you know, you know, a couple of enlistments might be a good thing for me. Um, it, you know, it fit right into the plan that I had. How did you end up in Japan? So uh, for work, I uh, work in the DOD. Uh, and so uh, went out to uh, be uh, one of the uh, senior executives out, out there. Army base, mil, uh, just DOD base, DOD facility, perhaps? Uh, Air Force base. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Out of all things, which, you know, I, I guess shout out to the Air Force. Um, you know, we have the Air Force base has the best food, so they say. Like, I remember they being... Have the, they have the best everything. It's actually sickening. Um, <laughs> so when I was in the... Uh, I was in the Army, stationed in Korea. And, um, you know, at that point, I'm like, you know, 20 years old, something like that. Man, and, you bounced around a lot when you were for just four years from Pentagon. Like, you know, that's... Oh, yeah. Man. I got, yeah, I got you around. You a great path. No wonder you were like four and out. Like, that was like... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't need anything else. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is fine. I mean, you. I mean, it wasn't just the path. I mean, you forged that path, but that path for you was like spectacular. Some people do four years in the army, and you hear their stories, and it was like, man, that sounds like that sucked for four years. But your sounds absolutely like fucking epic, man. Yeah, no, I, I cannot. Uh, I don't owe the army. Uh, the army doesn't owe me anything. I, I, <laughs> you know. I'm sorry. I'm glad you corrected yourself. I don't owe the army anything. I, I mean, that one's true too. Actually, uh, um, they've, they've gotten everything they're going to get out of me. Um, but, but yeah. So I'm, I'm on this uh, base, and it's a, a army base uh, that has an air force side to it. And so I ended up kind of dating this Air Force chick and I go over to like their side and it's just like swanky, their food's better. They get money to live on an army base because it's substandard for the Air Force. <laughs> what? Yeah, oh yeah. I remember being on uh, Fort Meade or you know down in Central Maryland and being around, uh, it's probably one of the only times I ever worked around um, military people. Um, but they just ragged on the air force all day. They would call them chair force. Yeah. Like, like the, like the army guys, the Navy guys, they were just ribbing them all day long. And I don't know how you sit there and take that as an air force dude, but I guess, I don't know. No, they'd be like, they'd be like, hey, yo, like, yo, Maverick, where are your shades at? <laughs> I tell you exactly how they take it. They're like, um, we have better everything and we're smarter than you. So, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you can rib us if you want to, but <laughs> They did. I mean, when I was in Iraq, I, like we'd go like because there was every base there was like every sub base on the bigger base there had like it was different elements. So like for all the holidays I was there for, we went to the Air Force DFAC to eat. That's dining facility, right? Like we went to all the and it was like 
Thanksgiving, it was like, I didn't even miss a step. I was like, this is just as good as it was back home, right? Like Christmas dinner, just as good as it was back home. Like, I was like, this isn't too bad, right? Like, you know, in between, you're like, man, I can't wait to go back to the Air Force base to eat, right? Because like 15 <laughs> minutes across base, right? Like, you know, you're like, fuck that. Like, can we just go on Saturday? So you start making it Saturday's night dinner was like Air Force dinner. You're like, this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, man, they, you know, shout out to the Air Force. I know we joke, you know, and I love all of my my military, you know, brethren and sisters. Um, and, and you know, I, I cannot, um, you know, begin to, to thank all the Air Force folks that, that I met and worked with out there uh, enough. They were amazing folks. Um, but, you know, we, we got to keep that, that rivalry. Um, it's, it's just a, a fun thing. There are certain things that are known. Marines eat crayons, you know, the chair force. It just, it is what it is. Marines. Can you explain Marines eat crayons? Cause I never heard that one before. What? Uh, so it's literally people just call them the dumbest branch. Um, and so uh, when everyone is, you know, in class coloring, they're eating the crayons. So <laughs> That's so great. Which, no, they're which, great. Like, like they're all good people, man. You're right. I've been there. Exactly. And, I, and, you know, some of the smartest people I've ever met, you know, are, are, you know, we're Marines. Right. So, so, all of these things are, you know, they're, they're just, you know, it's military focus. You know, it's not even just like one branch, right? It's, it's all those people. Some people just like, that's where your calling is. They're like, you know, that your, your pathway through your life runs through the military. I've met some smart people in, you know, my office and I've met some yeah. really dumb people in my office, but. So actually just, you know, uh, quickly on that, uh, part of the reason why I had the hustle plan, right? Because one of the oh, things that they tell you when you're in the in the military is if you get to 10 years, you might as well do 20, uh -huh. right? And so for a lot of the folks that are getting involved in like high tech jobs in the military, immediately off the bat, your first enlistment is six years. So if you do a six year enlistment and then you re-enlist and do a four year, you're right there at 10. Well, then everyone's telling you, well, hell, you did 10, you might as well do 20, right? right? So I wanted no parts of that. I didn't even want that to be a consideration. Like, don't even like, no, there's, there's nothing to talk about here. Are you saying so. computers wasn't uh, a six year? It was a four year satellites were only a four year. So yeah, it's um, long story short. Um, when I reclassed, uh, I was actually able to keep the four years. Um, ah, nice. So traditionally when you come in, it would be a six. That's crazy. I mean, I knew a guy who was 12 years enlisted. He's like, well, I'm 12. I just re-upped, you know, I'm at my 12 year mark. I might, he's like, he, I remember he said the exact word. He's like, well, might as well stay in until I get to my 20 at this point. And I think he probably just hit his 20. You know, I'm pretty sure he's close to his 20. So like, and you know, being before 40 and hitting your 20, like that's pretty impressive. He might've already hit his 20 for all I know, right? Like, I'm, I guess I'm preparing to my age, right? I think he was younger than that, so. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad gig at all, right? Doing the twenty and getting the retirement, and it's one of the only you know things you can do, right? Where you you know do twenty years somewhere and then get a check for life, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not a bad gig. It just you know for me it wasn't on the path. Well, it sounds like you forged. You're like, are you you forged a pretty? What I know about Jay, Jay forged a pretty goddamn good path along the way. You know what I mean, so. I've been trying and there's been a lot of luck, man. So, and, and a lot of good people that have helped, you know, guide me and help, you know, help push me in the right way. So, um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm really big on mentoring and trying to, 
you know, help, help folks because I, I wouldn't be where I am if, you know, I didn't have some of the, you know, folks that did that for me. So. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. I want to bring up. And I don't think it's one thing we point to talk about, but it's always one of those things. It's like, you see the mentors and uh, like asking for a, a things and, and talk about their mentees. How do you feel about certifications nowadays? Right. Like, you know, you know, uh, I won't, I'll just leave it at that. And I won't, I won't bias you with my thoughts at this point in time, but like, how do you feel about them? Like for like, you know, if you're mentoring someone like, and they're like, Oh, I want to get my security plus, or I'm thinking about going down the NIST, you know, Cisco route, or, you know, I'm thinking about going, you know, getting the offensive security stuff, saving up and getting the office security, you know, certifications. Like what's your take on that nowadays, as opposed to be like, you know, I think I'm going to go get my bachelor's in cybersecurity since that's very much big now, or maybe they already have their bachelor's in something else. They want to go for their master's in cybersecurity. Like what's your take on that nowadays? So I think all of it has, uh, has its place in the landscape, right? So whenever I talk to uh, mentees, I tell them that certifications are good, right? Um, certifications are kind of, you know, kind of a, a mini snippet of some of these, broader things like degrees and other types of things where you get a chance to focus on a particular area for something. Um, the thing that I always warn people about is you don't want to be a paper tiger, right? You don't want to be one of these people that you have all of these certifications, but you don't actually have any skills, right? You just learned how to take the test. So, you know, if you are using the certification to kind of chart the path of your learning and really use that to really um, kind of uh, scope what it is that you're that you're learning and, and you're getting applied uh, skills with with that learning, then all day, yes, absolutely do certifications. Um, also, all certifications aren't evenly yoked, right? So, you know, you take something like a Security Plus compared to, you know, the OSCP or something like that, right? Um, I've always been, uh, you know, a, a major uh, proponent of, you know, things like, you know, the OSCP, uh, the GSE, things where, you know, there is a hands-on, no BS, like you gotta be able to perform uh, component to them um, are, are huge. And there's a reason why uh, those types of things are, you know, as um, highly held, you know, as they are, because you, you can't just study the book and then, you know, take a test. You, you actually have to perform and do some things. And and that's that's exactly like I, if I could plagiarize your words, I'd say exactly that. And that's how I actually I've always felt about it. And that's maybe because all three of us have come up during that same time where like for a while CISSP was like super pushed upon all of us at some point in our career. I'm sure it was like we're all in the same, you know, we're on the same field. So it's sure it was pushed upon us. But it was a thing it was like if you can give the book to someone on the street who knew nothing about something and they're just a good test taker. They might be able to pass before I would. And I'm like the one that's been in the field because I might be a poor test taker. Now, if you give me a test and it's all applied and I got to get in this system and do that and analyze this data, you know, for blue team stuff or hack this box for red team type of stuff, you're like, I would have passed. But the fact that I have to take a, you know, multiple choice where I'm sitting there uh -huh. second guessing myself every third question, you're like, well, Joe Schmo off the street or Jane Smith off the street, you know, mm -hmm. they could pass it light you know quicker than i could because they're really good test takers the one that got me was the ethical hacker exam when it was like hey man uh tell me about the flags for nmap i'm like nobody's gonna just walk up to me and be like hey your job depends on knowing what does a synax scan on nmap like i can just hit the dash question mark right, right. and everything's gonna be fine so for, for you for you kyle to say you know 
this is a test somebody could take off the street, given enough study time, you are completely right. I would rather uh, work with somebody or I don't know, uh, know that my colleagues in that space have had for me, uh, um, reverse engineering, like hands-on experience, like you, you pet, uh, having this piece of paper that says that you, uh, I don't know, know how to scan some box because you're, you're ethical, right? That, that doesn't mean much to me. Show me your hands-on practical experience. And that's, that's better than anything. I, I for the military, even from the military standpoint, because a lot of the operators, right? Those are people that go to class and they have hours of hands-on training. I would rather work with one of those guys than someone that's a paper tiger. I love the term paper tiger, by the way. I I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that and use it. That is, paper tiger is great. Uh, I knew a guy back in the, at, at the NSA days who literally in a signature block put all, I mean, I literally, I think he had 12 certifications in a signature block. And it's like, man, I, I, I never no, understood that. Like, yeah, well, that. I also knew the same sort of guy and he also tacked on the bottom because it was ridiculous. And I think he understood it at least in the, you know, uh, uh, I'm a meme. I'm a walking meme sense of life. He put a certified forklift operator also at the very bottom. Wow. Yeah. Well, maybe he was. Yeah. Are you judging him? I don't know. Maybe maybe he was. So, and you, you know what's interesting about it is, um, <clears throat> so I also uh, I also was a Krav Maga instructor. Oh, Christ. Okay. Here we go. There oh, we go. you guys oh, just yeah. beating the hell out of each other. You yes. and Kyle, have you ever and Kyle ever beat the hell out of each other? Have you ever just like stood in the same room and punched each other with your... No, but you know, it's Krav Maga, man. They, they're... Oh, that's, that's some serious shit. That's some serious shit. <laughs> I, I mean, know, so I, I, I know I, jujitsu, man. I know jujitsu. So, like, if we go to the ground, I could probably take Jay. But standing up, Jay's gonna stab my eyes and kick me in the nuts. Probably even so, 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 so that's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm gonna do that on the ground too. Like, I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, but I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna take your arms and like snap it in half before you ever thought of poking me in the eyes and kicking me. In the so, nuts. so I, I don't know, man. Have you seen Jay? He looks like he's a uh, pretty, pretty. You know, you, you can't break those arms that easy. <laughs> no, this is all so, hypothetical in like the, the my fairy tale fairy tale land, right? So so you know, to your point, right? So so I was a crime instructor, but uh, I studied uh, Muay Thai. I, I did a l- very little BJJ, right? Uh, very little judo. Like just kind of played with a, a bunch of other stuff. And there's one day that I'm rolling with this guy, um, and he's full blown BJJ guy, and he gets me in this ankle lock that he can barely hold on to. And like, he's super proud of himself. And I'm just like, I would have been like biting and hitting everything sensitive right now. Like, why are you excited? Like, okay, sure. Like, I, I, and, I, and I get it, like, there's a lot of skill that goes into BJJ. I don't want BJJ haters, you know, so, uh, you know. I mean, I, do hey. jiu-jitsu. I, like, I mean, I'm, I'm well-versed in it. Like, I'm well more versed than 80% of the planet, right? Like, that's how they, like, we like to say in the BJJ world. But no, there's, everything has a play. Like, in a street fight, I'm not going to grab you and pull a guard and throw myself to the ground. I'm probably going to throw a punch and probably run away because I don't want to get beat up. And even if I could beat you up, whoever you are on the street, like maybe I don't want to, right? Like maybe, like, I don't, maybe I don't want, maybe I don't even want to take one punch to the face and still knock you out cold. Like I don't, maybe I don't want to take one punch to the face, right? Like, or wherever, right? And nowadays martial arts is, uh, everybody does it. I mean, yes. everybody's done at least, you know, 
a handful of classes that, you know, with the onslaught of UFC and every other sub part of, you know, that spun out of UFC world, you know, since we were young, you know, in, 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 in college days, right. And, or even, you know, in the early 2000 days, right. Like there's so much more now that everybody's at least tried something for a month, right. That like everybody has a swinging chance, right. You know, to, you know, and I'm not, maybe I don't want to take a haymaker, right? Like, I don't care, right? Like, so, and, and really the, you know, the opposite side of it, just like you said, right? Like, you know, if, if it's a street fight, I'm probably going to throw a punch and try to run, right? Because, you know, even though I, I might be able to beat whoever it is, it, say I do beat them, right? What about after, right? Yeah. What legal stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Dave said, I'm not a small guy. So if I end up hurting somebody, like, that's a problem. Right. I'm just gonna run. You guys are talking about <laughs> punching and running. I will literally run. I'm out of. Well, I'm here. assuming I'm like swarmed, right? Like first, you know, I'll run my mouth and then I'll run. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just the fact that you like if something happened, I I do it for the fact that if something happened and I had to defend myself. I feel like I'm comfortable in defending myself. Now, if it's like a we're at some bar in the near future and something breaks <laughs> out. I'm probably going to be the guy in the background because I'm a lot like, I'm just going to drink beer and watch people like knock each other out. Right. And then still drink beer afterwards, not get kicked out. Maybe I want to stay there the rest of the night. You know I mean? I don't know. Right. Like exactly. There's other bars. Just leave. Just Run. <laughs> just maybe, maybe there aren't more bars in the future. Maybe there will be less bars. Who knows? You're right. You should stay and fight for your bar, Kyle. Fight for my bar. Fight for my my seat in the bar. Hey Jay, what do you do now? Uh, so still still with uh, the DoD. Uh, I'm uh, with NSA now, um, and so I really just uh, returned from Japan not too long ago. So uh, between buying a house and kind of doing everything else, I'm kind of trying to just get settled. Uh, really. Um, Life, life has been nuts uh, during the pandemic with so much change. I mean, I can't imagine being over there in Japan. I know because we, we try to get Jay on like, I think November, December time frame, And Jay's like, oh yeah, I'm over in Japan. So that was like a 12 hour difference. Like, yeah, like, I, hey, no, I think it was like 15 hour difference. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we'll be able to swing that Jay. So like, yeah, you guys want to uh, talk well, at nine in the morning? Like I'm not against drinking at nine. No, in the morning, either am I. Like, you know, it's like, just gotta be the right day. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, you know, um, definitely, you know, uh, where I, I was, I was doing, you know, much more um, kind of like high level um, engagement type stuff. Um, whereas, you know, coming back, I really do want to get back into the, the hands-on realm. Um, uh -huh. I've kind of been out of the defensive side for a little while. So I really want to get back into um, defense and, and really kind of seeing how the world has changed because uh, you know, over the last five years, you know, it, it's been completely different out there. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, for, for you know, I, as someone who is, is really confident in their ability on the defensive side, even now, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I just, you know, I, I hadn't been exposed to, hadn't seen. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Definitely. Well, welcome back. <laughs> yeah i mean and it's good to say where you went because I, I one of the, the the craziest stories i remember about you and, and obviously correct me if i'm wrong didn't you used to commute basically from like you know up to fort meade from like somewhere in northern virginia every day i did um like we're talking like an hour plus like at oh dark 30 
I like how he smiles and he's like, man, I forgot. I remember that shit. I, I, that, I was remember, like, that was awful. So, uh, and, and it might be a decent segue into finance, but so. I, uh, <laughs> finance. So I, I, I was working at US CERT in uh, Arlington, Virginia. Oh, I, no kidding. Yeah. Yep. And I uh, lived in, um, in Burke, Virginia. And so when I changed jobs, leaving US CERT and went up to Fort Meade, um, I had bought the home that I had in Burke, fully planning for it to be a rental property. And so I, I'd read these like personal finance books and a whole bunch of other things. And, um, you know, real estate was kind of a, a major way that a lot of people were able to amass, uh, you know, wealth uh, and, you know, really start leaning into generational wealth and trying to, um, you know, build for their family. And so I said, okay, I don't want to sell this house. I need to rent this house. The only problem is I don't know anything really about how to do that. <laughs> uh, right. And so, um, but, you know, with the timing of the job, I kind of needed to just pull the trigger. And so I switched jobs, but was still living in Burke and was driving to Fort Meade daily. Um, what use or what should probably take an hour, hour and a half would take me probably about 45 minutes. Um I was kind of that car that was a blur, uh, driving aggressively <laughs> down uh, many highways. Um, so sorry for anyone that I <laughs> probably cut off or, or did other stuff uh, too. But um, yeah, so I, I actually did that for, God, four or five years. You did that for four or five years. So like your plan, the rent, it just didn't plan out how you planned. I, I got so wrapped up in work and other things that I wasn't able to really put the plan together to my liking. And, and really the, the, you know, kind of punchline for a lot of this. And what I realized is just the truth about life in general is that you're much more prepared to do things than you generally think you are. And so I thought I had to, you know, have this thing ready and have this amount of money and kind of be set to do this. And um, I wanted to get my real estate license and, like there were all of these things that I wanted to do before I, you know, rented that house and bought another house. And I was so, I, I could have done it so much sooner and I just didn't know. And so, you know, after I got my real estate license and kind of did everything else, like uh, the sky opened up and I realized that, you know, I was really trying to make it more perfect than it needed to be. You're a mute. Uh, David, I'm sorry. I don't, uh, yeah, you think I know how to use this thing by now, but I don't, (laughs) I was going to say, I I was trying to say over here that you, I I think we've maybe asked these, these same sort of questions, or maybe we haven't over the the last, like, you know, 40 podcasts, but like Jay seems, uh, very ambitious. Like he has a lot of ambitions, man. This guy, I was going to start a company. Jay would be one of the first 10 people I asked to come on board hundred percent. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Mean, and, and Jay and I haven't talked, but like maybe like once a year for the past 10 years over time, or like, I mean, we've seen each other at cons. Like you said, we saw each other at cons and stuff like that and have a drink or something. But like Jay, that's what I know about Jay. hundred percent. I would be like, Jay, I need you to come on board. It's, it's ambition and hustle and like the four-year hustle plan, right? You're just, you're, you're really getting out. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm getting out of here. But it, it's funny I, how that four-year hustle plan, a weird segue is that so, a guy that I know from grad school time frame is now the CSO of GitHub. And I've been trying to get Mike on the podcast, right? 
And it's, it's funny that your four-year hustle kind of maps to how he always told me as he was like moving on in the field. Uh, and he came to grad school after me. And that's where you can see where he is now is that he's like, I never stay in the same job more than four years, right? Now you can say, it didn't say same company. He said, I never do the same job. Sorry, he said five years is what I think. He's like, I never do the same job for five years because he's like, I feel like I get stagnant in what I'm doing that I'm not developing my things. And then look at him now, right? This is a guy that I knew from CMU and I think he went right to CERT, right at SCI CERT right after that. And then he went to Duo Security, which got bought by Cisco. And then he was doing, he was a CISO at Cisco, you know, and now it's a CSO at GitHub. And it's just like, and obviously he had, those are those big titles he had along the way. And I, he had minute jobs along the way, but you know, it's, it's almost, it pays, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like, and maybe that's why the military always said like four years, because it, it gives you time to develop who you are. Maybe, uh-huh. I mean, I'm, there's a I, lot I'm of people military. that I think that I think come from that age of 18 and you're just like, the, you don't know who you are. And you don't know what you're good at. You don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. Like imagine again, being yourself, be be being at 18. Oh shit. Even at 18, right? What do you want to be for the rest of your life? Like, fuck, I don't know, dude. I just want to be happy and like, yeah, you know, have some sort of marketable skill and have a job. But I I like to, we're going to make that a sticker, Jay, for your hustle. For your hustle. Four year hustle. Like you got to put it. What you got to do is you got to put it around like a like a, a modified DOD logo or like an army logo and just like or like I don't the know. eagle like grabbing some shit. You know. Yeah, but like Jay, <laughs> on, like, I want to see like Jay right? fighting yeah. the eagle off and being like, "Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> problem, Maga. That's right. Yes. Hey, hey I, we I don't, don't. I don't, I don't know sorry. if it's possible to kick an eagle in the balls, but like, yeah, that's that's what that's what I'm going for. Jay would do it. I, I uh, I'm over here like frequently like checking my my stuff and uh, do you remember how we talked about on the one podcast um, your targeted advertisements all of a sudden like showing up right we talked about coffee it was uh what it was banger good. coffee or something where does it go with Kevin Cody and Bones yeah Bones coffee uh, I have literally never searched this on my phone before but I don't know if you can see this like I this is an yeah. ad- a targeted advertisement for Doom. I need to. I have never looked up Doom on my phone. I have never attempted to play like any version of Doom in the last like fifteen to twenty years. But I have an advertisement on Instagram for Doom. They're listening. They want me to save sixty sixty nine percent off the. It took, price. it took Bones Coffee uh, like thirty six hours to send me a targeted ad from the time. That was slow, right? Because I got those too eventually, but it took like four days. Doom is like. Let's go. Bethesda Games is like, let's go, man. We got time. We got to spend this. I, I heard you say you love that shit. Like, just come uh, get it. Uh, what, they, else, they what heard, else do we love? love that shit. And they're like, targeted ad. I want to see, uh, see Wolfenstein 3D or something on here in a couple minutes. But I cannot honestly believe that I see fucking Doom. And if anybody knows way. David along the way, he, he's super paranoid. And I would know. When he said he hasn't searched it in 15 years, he hasn't searched it in 15 years. There's no reason for me to look up Doom on my phone. What's and before we close out, what was your favorite thing about Japan? Oh God, um, it's the people. It it really is the people, like the the people and the culture. Um, I I had some friends come visit, um, 
And I, I warned them when they first got there. I said, you're going to see certain things that are going to make you look at America and be like, we are trash. Like, what are we doing? Like, so small things like escalators, like everyone gets on the escalator. They stand to one side. Everyone either waits, you know, waits to get up there or people, you know, oh. they, they walk faster on the other side. That sounds and so it, nice. That's yeah. like the Metro in DC though. But yeah. It's like the DC Metro. I was just thinking that like, I've seen this before one time at least. I, I, I've never seen, it is an absolute melee on any public <laughs> transportation escalator. Like that's what Krav was for. Krav was for public transportation in the U- U.S. Uh, I like doing that shit in Pittsburgh where like, you know, someone's in a hurry behind you and you're standing off to the left and you know, someone beside you standing off to the right and they're not moving. Right. And the person walks up behind you real fast and there's people in front of you. Cause like, if I move out of the way, you're not going anywhere. There's, <laughs> you're going like four more steps oh, yeah, and like, you still got States Don't get escalator etiquette. Oh no. <laughs> but it's like, you just, you, you feel them up behind you. Like, mm. <laughs> So, so I, I, I tell Good this, spot. I tell this one story to people to help them understand. Now, you know, again, uh, we've got a lot of craziness going on in the country, um, you know, relative to, to race relations and, and all kinds of other things, you know, police, uh, here I am a decent sized black man. So I generally have, uh, some kind of, uh, anxiety around police. So I, I tell this story because it, I, I think it helps to really crystallize some things. So my wife and I were driving somewhere. I forget where we were going. And um, we were following the GPS and we needed to Japan? take- Is this Japan? Yeah, this is, this is in Japan. And we needed to take uh, an exit that we didn't see. Like, we, you know, either the GPS didn't, you know, uh, catch up to it or whatever it was. And so we ended up taking, you know, kind of shooting over a couple of lanes and, and jumping on this uh, one road. And we didn't see the, the Japanese police car that was there. And so Japanese police car, uh, lights go on, you know, they're, they're pulling us over. The amount of anxiety that we had just because it was a police car that was pulling us over. And like, I've got a whole thing here in the US where if I get pulled over, hands on the steering wheel until they get there, you know, Yes, sir. No, sir. All of that good stuff. So I'm fully prepared to do that. You know, anxiety through the roof. And the, you know, we pull over, and the the police officer is like, you know, um, he asked for our, you know, documentation. We give it to him, and he's like, yeah. He's like, um, so you guys, you know, went straight in that lane, or, or you turned in that lane, and it's supposed to go straight. Um, we really don't want you to do that because we want you to be safe. So please don't do that anymore. And that, and that was, was it. it. <laughs> he gave you your documentation it. back and walked away. No, no, no. Not only did he, you know, give us our documentation back, but then he was like, hey, do you know how to get back to where you were? And we didn't. He drove so that we could follow him to, okay. to like kind of get back to where like, so it was just this completely different experience that I've never had in the U.S., and the whole thing for, for him as a police officer was, I want you to be safe. I don't want anyone to get hurt. And I've never had it come through that way in such you know, a, a, a vibrant way before. And I think, I think that is very emblematic of the culture 
um, and just the way that that you know Japanese people are. And so, you know, I, I, you know, that's an easy answer when people ask me, "What is your favorite thing?" It's the people, it's the culture. Um, I think all of the other things stem from that. You know, all of the the, the great things, whether it's food, whether it's you know whiskey, but you know, just you know, entertainment, whatever it is that you like uh, about out there. But um, the people, especially when you can you can recount a story like that, right? That, that's an easy one for you. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that's wild. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, we can't relate at all to that, right? I mean, that's just. I don't, know, I don't have words. That's interesting to hear it like that. That they were like that. That's that was their approach. It was like we want you to be safe. I was expecting him also to give you like a sticker and a lollipop, like you go to like the doctor's office and you're just like, I, I "Hey, thought, man, like thank was, you." Yeah, I felt like that. Thanks was for something. getting pulled over. <laughs> like if you if you would have like patted me on the head as he walked away, I would have been like, "Yeah, I, I saw. Yeah, that that's appropriate." For oh, now. You're... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. It's a shame that you can't get that in the states, probably anywhere. I mean, I I'm, I'm I can't say that anywhere, right? I would hope that there's different people, in different places that it's not all the same. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and to be completely honest, right? There there is just a difference in culture, right? There's yep. you know obviously for police who have a very difficult job, you know, a traffic stop is the most dangerous thing that they're going to encounter, right? So they have a whole you know anxiety and and approach. When, when they are coming into a situation that they may feel like they have to control and, and do things. But, you know, that is not just police. That is emblematic of the entirety of U.S. culture. And it's something that, you know, they don't have to necessarily deal with in Japan. And they can be that way because of it, right? So, you know, it's a very complex kind of thing. But, um, you know, it just, you know, the, the difference is, you know, you, culture is what it is, you know, um, and, and it's a very special place. I, I think just, you know, it kind of in closing, that's one one of the things that, you know, really kind of struck me when I heard when I heard it said, I don't remember where I heard it said from, but, you know, anytime you hear someone speaking with an accent, that means they speak at least two languages, right? Uh-huh. And so, you know, for, for folks in the US, like we, we do tend to get on our high horse, like, oh, you don't, you don't speak English or you speak poor English, you know, you have this accent. And it's like, you know, yeah, that they speak multiple languages. Like you, you only speak one. <laughs> like you know, who are you to you know talk to you know someone else because they have an accent? You know, you know, talk down to these people because you know they're they're trying to acclimate, whereas you've never had to change, right? Yeah, um, and you think you think about you know tourism. We go to completely different countries and go to a uh, resort where we expect everyone to speak English. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, man. I've done that in Mexico. I've done that in uh, Italy, and it, it, you're right. It feels weird. Where you're just like, I don't know a thing. I don't. I don't know a thing. But also, like, there's like the reverse expectation for me. And I'm not trying to say I don't. I don't like these people, or you know, any, anything like that. I'm not trying to say that like you know, there, there's like a racial bias here. But like, I I know that that country is so connected inside of the European Union that those that the, the people that live there are typically. bilingual trilingual quadlingual right like they probably speak english almost as well as i do or better better. in addition to speaking three other languages i'm like well what what's the point of me learning italian at this you know for one week right they're gonna crush me i remember i walked into like a bakery and like i had no idea what i was doing and i was like i i just walked out i think i walked out and i sent my wife in because she had spent um at least a semester in italy 
like I'm, I can't do this clearly. No, <laughs> I think they also looked at me uh, a little bit differently and were like, uh, no English uh, for this guy. So move it on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think some cultures do. And like, I think it's honest on us as we travel to try to learn something about where we go. And I used to, no, when, I agree. You should, I used to travel a little bit. I used to work uh, the office. I traveled in a lot. They, uh, a guy used to buy a book like like one of like like a, like a cliff notes version of like things to learn from that country when you go just the, the basic shit like how are you thank you please uh can i have and then you know blank right like and you fill in the blank you learn that word right that other word you want to learn and like there's something to say about that but it is a little something different too when you travel and you go to like three different countries right and like as you could say, like the, the culture of Japanese is great. I think the culture of the Netherlands is great. And I, the Dutch are amazing individuals. And I would say that over and over again, like when my wife and I traveled, well, now my wife, we were just dating back then, like went to Amsterdam, like the Dutch are so friendly. And like, as an ignorant American, I was so worried because like I learned a few things, like how to say those few little thing phrases, but they are still like, man, I, I just feel like I, I like I, I always feel like, man, I just didn't do my due diligence. I wish we would have had better education well, growing up. Also, technology is a little bit different, though, now, because you can pull up Google Translate and you can type in the thing that you want to say into your phone and then it, like, says the thing. So, like, I can be yep. proactively more uh, engaged with the culture than I normally would have been, yep. you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I can I can put my phone up and read a sign in Japanese that I normally would have absolutely no interest in that or saved have me in Japan for 24 hours. Fear. I can I can't even imagine the fear of looking at symbols as opposed to like trying to even uh in like the I've been in um Frankfurt airport and just looking at like I can kind of guess maybe about what's going on but like symbols uh uh Chinese Japanese Korean you know, Eastern Asian symbols I have no I would be just absolutely terrified. Cyrillic alphabet out in uh, Russia, I would have no idea what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. You have an advantage, right? A small advantage of like technology now in 2021. So, so, so two things on that one, um, I was in Korea in, you know, 2001, 2002. Right. So that, that was my life. You know, technology didn't, uh, didn't do anything. No, absolutely not. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can tell you absolutely um, the difference in the, the amount that you're able to engage um, is just night and day. Uh, but what I will say, you know, to Kyle's point is that um, one of the things that just makes, you know, Japanese people infinitely happy is that the fact that you try, right? You, you know, you try to learn those phrases, you try to speak to them, you uh, try to learn about, you know, their culture. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I, I butchered you know, a lot of Japanese, right? And I had my few phrases, you know, hajimemashite, you know, nice to meet you, like those kinds of things. Um, and just, you know, the, the little bit that I did know, um, you know, they were super happy that I, I, I took the time and, and spent the energy to try to, to know those things, so. I would, I, I would hope that that's like universal also. Like if you came to America and I ran into you at like the local bar because this is, you know, just right down the road from your hotel, but like, I, don't know, I wouldn't be a dick. I don't know. I, I think that's just that's what life comes down to is just welcoming, effort, right? Yeah, just just yeah. being welcoming and making an effort. And if you're willing to do that, that's you know to me eighty percent of life right there. Yep. 
agree. That's like the goal. I mean, not even like the, the golden rule, but like I remember my my uh, you know family members when I was growing up telling me that you always want to treat people the way that you want to be treated, and that's not. I mean, that's. I think that's a. For me, that's that's something that I kind of internalize, right? And it's not it, if I can understand you or or whatever. It's it's everybody, and I think that if we had a little bit more of that going around, you know. Just be nice. Oh, it's say, easier to be nice. I tell my kids that it's way easier to be nice than it is to be a dick. Yeah. But I don't say dick to the kids. You know, you tell them, you know, I call it being a helper. Like it's way easier to be a helper than to just look at them and be like, oh, why don't you know how to do that? You know, Liam or Noah or whatever the popular name is nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> are they are they all Oasis band members? Like, is oh that, my like- gosh, I didn't even <laughs> notice that. Noel. Is their parents over here? No. Is their parents' wedding song "Wonderwall"? Like, I'm gonna have to start asking. Dude, they're everywhere. There's Noahs everywhere. There's That's Noahs great. and Liams. But That's yeah, the same thing. Like, you try to tell your kids that sort of thing, and at least you know one person. Maybe, maybe it snowballs somewhere. I mean, that, you know, that's a good. Uh, I think it's a good way to end it. Uh, Jay, I appreciate you coming on and, and and handling and running through the technical difficulties we had in the beginning that we've had in a couple of last podcasts. I don't know what the fuck's going on with my system. We'll figure this shit out. I'll figure it out. But uh, as always, yeah, I have, great. How, how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Like you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, other social media platforms. What's the best email, website? What do you guys think? Nothing. Like oh, sit by my ass. Like whatever you, you tell me. You find me. Uh, yeah. So my OnlyFans is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. OnlyFans is not just provocative, you know, provocative things, right? Am I saying that even that word right? Pro what? Sexual... Pro what? Sexual things. Give me, right? give me one more. Uh, no, nah, I'm not gonna try to say. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'd say uh, LinkedIn is probably the the best way, um, just to, to to catch me. Um, I'm a little bit more uh, kind of protective of the rest of my social media um but but linkedin is a, yeah. is a very kind of neutral place so Understood. um you know uh jay brown um i'll look know, in the show but, notes i'll get that from you i'll put it in the show notes for everybody perfect to get exactly uh, exactly i want to say you know thank you guys for having me on it's been a blast i i actually i want us to hang out at some point you oh, guys hell have yeah to- man we got a drink because this is this has been a blast man i appreciate it and like and it's, it's always nice to hear and i and like i can tell in your facial expressions and when people say that they actually appreciate it and they hear after the fact like because it starts out like very like oh man what's this podcast going to be about and how am i going to be portrayed and who knows we're just two dudes just here to it's listen it's a disaster to is what he's trying to say <laughs> yeah. i'll just i'll just let me talk over kyle it's an absolute disaster it was the worst two hours of your life no, I, I can't wait. Like we've said this so many times with so many people. I think we have, we try to just like have fun, right? We just, I, I want to feel like we're, we're out just hanging out at some place, even though we're not. I want to feel like that exactly what you said in the beginning. Yeah. That we sat down next to each other at a bar at a conference and started shooting the shit. And that's yeah. what I want the podcast to be. And I would say nearly 98% of them have been like that. I don't know. I'm just gonna not gonna say. Ninety eight. You took a percent off. What, what was the other two percent? I don't know. Bad, huh? you, we got. We have that <laughs> wiggle room there, right? Hey, there was there was one person that came to mind, and he was like, "Screw that guy." That was. <laughs> that's what happened as soon as he said ninety nine, ninety eight. No comment, and that's okay because we've done thirty some at this point. Like, try to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, you just always just try to have fun, and uh... yeah, some people are better conversationalists than others, and. Jay, you were at the top of the list of like, you know, we had a great time. Like that's like I had so much fun. 
I don't want it to end. Here we are. This is probably one of our longest ones also looking down at the clock. Like we've, we've gone for a while. Well, I mean, we didn't actually start to like, uh, we're about an hour and a half in from the time we started. We could go longer. Like I I feel like I have so much to talk to Jay about, especially like we didn't even talk about any of the bottles behind them. We didn't, we didn't get to like, you know. That's why Jay's going to have us over. Jay's going to be the third host on the podcast. We're going to invite someone else out. We're going to do it. Or maybe we'll zoom it live and and we'll just do, we'll do the, you know, scotch tasting why we talked so I just, you know, like, like, like I've told everybody, Jay, like, I hope that if, if, if Hacker Summer Camp happens this year or next year, or something happens that I'd like to invite whoever's coming out, all the Moscow Mules and Opposite guests out. We kind of have a little gathering. We all hang out. Everybody gets to meet everybody. Maybe they listen to, maybe they don't. Who cares if they don't? Like, it's just for me to see everybody in person, David to see everybody in person. And it's networking, right? It's and, like, we've, yeah. we've also talked about that on the podcast. Like, it's so weird how, like, you realize how small the world is and how much networking really is important and just, you know, making connections. So, you know, and, and to that end, um, you know, kind of last little Japan snippet. One of the things that I really took with me from Japan is that, you know, the reason why, you know, meals and a lot of other these, you know, things are so ornate and so detailed is because every moment in life is special and no two moments are the same. And so this moment that we've had here tonight is never going to happen again. It will never be like this. It will never be the same conversation, the same energy. And so if you can take that with you and realize how important connections and how important every moment is, um, it makes it, you know, that much more enjoyable. And I've tried to take that with me from Japan. And so, you know, spending this time with you guys tonight has been awesome. You know, um, I think the conversation free flowed because, you know, we all just mesh. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jay. You've crushed my feels. Uh, enjoy your evening. Yeah. <laughs> like we always end all the podcasts as I fill up my other rest of my beer look at this stay thirsty everybody oh cheers i ran out of beer cheers <laughs>